Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. for joining me today. I'm looking forward to this time together. Rob Louie is going to be joining me in just a minute. I'm going to get the full update from Washington, D.C., which we do on Tuesdays. can hardly wait for that. And then I've got an author coming up. Uh, he's going to talk about his new book called A Small Book for the Hurting Heart. And his first name is Paul. I can't pronounce his last name. So that'll be interesting. I will find out from him personally what that is uh, as a professional radio host. I want to make sure I get it right. It's going to be a great uh, show coming up. I want to start with a piece of scripture that I talked about yesterday, and frankly, I want to repeat it again today. It's from John chapter 10. It says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let me take a short break, and when we come back, the executive editor of The Daily Signal, Rob Bluey, will be my guest. Be right back. Right now, you're gathering with thousands of other people. But don't worry, it's perfectly safe and encouraging. This is more than a radio station. You're part of a community sharing hope, sharing comfort, sharing encouragement. Faith Radio is here for you every day, broadcasting truth and inspiration, hope, and encouragement. Connecting faith to life. This is Faith Radio. Do you have a story to share? We'd love to hear how Faith Radio impacts your life. Leave us a message on our Faith Line at 877-933-2484. I love Faith Radio and listen to it all the time. And I'm grateful for all that you do. And thank you for all that you do. The Faith Radio Faith Line a place to share your story. 877-93-FAITH. That's 877-933-2484. That is the theme song for Rob Bluey, executive editor of The Daily Signal. Always look forward to speaking to Rob on Tuesdays. Rob, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Bill. I appreciate you having me. Of course. I look forward to it. Now, let's talk about the Coronavirus Commission. You guys are doing a great job with this, and I'm excited to hear what the updates are. Well, thank you, Bill. And uh, you're right. The National Coronavirus Recovery Commission is out with a new report, 47 recommendations that span everything from uh, recommendations for governors and local governments to the federal government, the executive branch in Congress, and importantly, the private sector and civil society, uh, faith-based institutions that really are, are the, the lifeblood of our, our society. And so we want uh, to make sure that the American people can uh, get back to work. We can reopen this country again in a way that uh, protects the public health of our, of our families and loved ones, while at the same time uh, making sure that we're not keeping things locked down uh, in a situation where it might not be warranted. Uh, there's a lot of uh, this country that hasn't experienced the, the devastation that we've seen in some big cities like New York and Detroit. 
And so uh, what the commission has done is really pulled together recommendations for how you would go about doing that uh, in, a, in a phased approach. And so uh, it was really exciting to hear their, their thoughts. Uh, there's a lot of people with different backgrounds coming together for this project, and, uh, and hopefully it's starting to have an influence uh, at multiple levels of our society. Rob, who might this uh, impact? Who, who might this influence? Uh, is this going out to the governors, or how, how is this material uh, being uh, used? Well, we've, we have circulated it to, to the governors. We've uh, made sure that the governors and their, their chiefs of staff and others uh, who, who have influence with them see it, uh, because obviously uh, in our society and the way our government is structured, there's a lot of decisions that are made by state governments. And uh, the federal government, despite uh, what some may think, does not call all the shots. Uh, in fact, it's people like Governor Cuomo in New York or uh, you know, Governor Newsom in California who are the ones on the front lines and really uh, making decisions that impact their own states. So we actually started the report by focusing on state government and then local government second. Um, it wasn't until the third section that we got to the federal government, because there are obviously things that the president can do and Congress can do, but those should come along and support what's already happening at the state level. So I would love to hear what some of the recommendations are and some of the steps that are uh, you the commission is encouraging. I know there's certain businesses in counties that have next to no incidents, and of course they should be allowed to reopen sooner than later, right? That's right. And so I think one of the big news items coming out of the recommendation is, uh, is that we should not basically keep everybody on the sidelines when we try to perfect the testing. There's been so much focusing, focus on testing. I mean, President Trump talks about it every day. He's asked about it every day. Uh, I know that when I talk to, to members of my family, they keep asking, why can't we get more tests? We need more tests. And the thing is, we're never going to be able to test every single American every single day. That's just not practical. And we need to find other ways that we can reopen America without relying on, on testing alone. And so the commission uh, recommends uh, that we uh, reject those calls for universal testing of every American before we start to loosen uh, some of these things. Now, I say that, Bill, and I want to make this crystal clear. We believe that social distancing and some of the other measures that have been put in place will need to be followed in the, in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, there's probably not going to be any handshakes <laughs> taking mm -hmm. place uh, for quite some time just because of how we've changed our habits and, and some of the things that are necessary to, to put a, uh, prevent the spread of the coronavirus. But we, what we really uh, want to focus on here is that, uh, you know, there is a situation where you have asymptomatic cases, uh, as many as 20 to 40 percent I've heard, uh, you know, could, could be. We can randomly test them, but we're not going to be able to test everyone. So let's do this in a smart, common-sense way uh, while not keeping people on the sidelines forever. Mm -hmm. I think in the state of Minnesota, Rob, there have been 148 deaths, and I think 97 of them have taken place in nursing homes and assisted living homes. So clearly there are uh, groups that are much more vulnerable than others. And I, I assume that this opening, reopening, will require them to remain pretty much on the program they're on right now for a while, for the time being. Well, we've had a, a similar situation in, in Virginia where, uh, yes, it's uh, hit uh, nursing homes particularly hard. And, uh, and obviously, you know, that is, uh, that's sad and tragic uh, because in part, Bill, 
you can't visit nursing homes right now, so you can't even be with those those loved oh, ones. I, I have, uh, you know, a great aunt in, in upstate New York, uh, uh, my great aunt Mary, who is, uh, uh, let's see, 97 or mm. maybe I'm getting that, that, that wrong. No, 98, I believe. And, uh, you know, she is um, she's not able to, to visit with her family. And, you know, she's one of the stops that we always make when we go to visit visit home. And so I think about her a lot and I think about all the other people in her situation where, uh, you know, they themselves are, are having to rely on technology and, and, and other means to stay connected. Well, at the same time, we recognize that they're among the most vulnerable. So the steps that we're taking by, by keeping those who may be carrying the virus into those facilities uh, is really saving lives. Uh, and when the virus does get into a nursing home facility, we see the kind of devastation that happens. And that happened in the Richmond area of Virginia. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I, I think that the governor of Virginia was so quick to, to make some decisions. Just to give you some pers- perspective, uh, Bill, we, we've had um, about 300 deaths uh, in Virginia from the coronavirus. And 270 of those are those over the age of 60. So what we know from that is that a large number of the deaths do impact the high-risk population, particularly those who are older. And so we need to take care and uh, and make sure that uh, we're we're accounting for that. And the recommendations that the National Coronavirus Recovery Commission put out uh, certainly do take that into context. And I think it's important that those who are from that high-risk uh, community uh, probably don't venture out the same way that somebody who's younger and maybe more um, not as susceptible to the virus uh, and, and the, the, the conditions that result from it in COVID-19, uh, that they take more precautions. Mm-hmm. So the commission also recommends that states uh, gather better data and that do more testing and contact tracing. How would you describe contact tracing to our listeners? Yeah, so this is uh, this is one of those things that uh, that, is, that is new 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 term. So thank you for the opportunity to define it and and uh, and help your listeners understand. So uh, it's been around uh, in in a low tech form for for many years. But what we're talking about is really trying to find some high tech solutions. Uh, hopefully, the state and local leaders can use uh, to to make sure that you know we're we're figuring out who you've been in touch with. We've seen uh, countries like South Korea use contact tracing very effectively uh, to basically say, we know that you came into contact with somebody who has the coronavirus, therefore we're asking you to to quarantine or self-isolate yourself so that you don't put anyone else in danger. Now, again, there are privacy concerns. I know that I'm sure that some of your listeners, uh, you know, maybe have a more libertarian perspective on on life and uh, don't want the government uh, knowing all of the information that uh, that they that they may necessarily need. Uh, and and you know, look, there's other situations where they've been using the Bluetooth uh, connection or the wireless uh, connection on your cell phone to determine where you've been. And I, even that, you know, is a little bit uh, concerning, I think. Uh, but you know, it's one of those things things that in a time of crisis, even polling suggests that the American people would be willing to share more of that information. So that's what contact tracing is. It's just, it helps, it helps you better understand who you've been in touch with and who to stay away from. Mm-hmm. Rob, how does the commission feel that the governors are doing in their jobs? 
Well, the governors are really all over the map. I mean, just this week we saw that uh, Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia uh, made the decision to to reopen parts of his state uh, again, following those uh, those social distancing uh, guidelines and other other parameters. Uh, so, for instance, if you go to the beach or the barber store, barber shop, uh, you know, you need to be able to uh, to do that. Uh, other governors are are you know facing protests because they are in a situation where they've maybe been more uh, stringent in their lockdowns. Uh, I know Michigan is is one example of that. Uh, and, and so it's really been all over the map. I think one of the things that uh, is, is frustrating and maybe concerning to the American people is that you do have 50 states that seem to be operating with 50 different sets of regulations. And if you live in a, in a sex, place like we do in Northern Virginia, uh, you know, within, I don't know, 20 minutes, you can be in the District of Columbia or Maryland. And uh, Maryland and D.C. And, and Virginia all have different dates for their stay-at-home orders. They have different uh, restrictions in terms of what's an essential business. And, uh, and, and that's, I think, where we're trying to come in and, and provide some guidance and, and help, uh, help the governors really understand, you know, what they can do to be most effective in combating uh, the coronavirus. The American people have already done so much. They, they've taken uh, the suggestions of government and really uh, done a wonderful job in terms of abiding by them to help us uh, bend that curve in the way that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and others have suggested we do. Mm-hmm. Rob Blue is my guest. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I know there's more to learn on his coronavirus commission project from the Heritage Foundation. You can head over to coronaviruscommission.com to learn more about that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Rob Blue is my guest. We're talking about the coronaviruscommission.com. Heritage Foundation has put together quite an impressive panel of people to uh, help us navigate going forward, which is an exciting thought, going forward. Isn't it, Rob? It is, yes. Well, we want to make sure that uh, we're providing that that hope uh, for the American people because they are – uh, certainly at their wits' end in some cases. Uh, Bill, I'll tell you, one of the things that's been most uh, most enjoyable about working on this commission is seeing the responses that we've received from the American people. We've had over 300 people now leave us their, their own recommendations and ideas for how uh, to reopen America. And they can do that, by the way, going to coronaviruscommission.com. And uh, it's been, uh, in some cases, heartbreaking to see the small business owner talk about how uh, they've been forced to lay off people and uh, the difficulty in, in doing that. Uh, it's, it's been, you know, really uplifting to hear how other people are pe- persevering uh, through this. And we wanted to take into account those, those ideas and recommendations in our report because uh, we realized that the 17 experts that we've assembled don't have all of the answers. And there are a great many Americans who are, are struggling with, with this on a daily basis. And, uh, and that's one of the important parts of this commission. So uh, I'd like to thank them. I know I've mentioned it on the show before. Maybe some of your listeners have sent in their ideas. We are reading them, and we appreciate uh, hearing from you. Yeah, Rob, do any suggestions come to mind that sort of jumped off the page? Uh, from the from the uh, listeners uh, and from the the people who sent their their yeah. ideas in, uh-huh. yeah, uh, there there are some. I mean, in, in fact, I think the area that uh, that, that probably is the 
the the greatest uh, help is is those small business owners okay. because obviously uh, you know they are the ones who are on the front lines and they don't necessarily have the cash flow that uh, that others do. So if you're a large corporation, like for instance, you know Shake Shack announced yesterday that it was able to secure a loan, uh, you know, and 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 could turn down the government. Funding through the the Paycheck Protection Program. So you know, in that case, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where um, you know they're they're okay. Now, w- one of the stories uh, that we we heard, and and by the way, Bill, um, our, our Heritage Foundation president and, and chairman of the commission, Kay James, wrote about this for the Washington Times today in a in a great piece. And in fact, the whole piece is about these uh, these submissions that that we've received. Uh, and one of the ones that was just really touching was um, was a woman by the name of Carol, I won't give her her last name, but she's the owner of a, a, a small business in California, and she talked about how her firm simply won't survive if uh, if she's not able to get back to work and and have her people do uh, the things that they need to do to make a living. And so, uh, what her suggestion was was you know figure out ways that private businesses can take steps in order to uh, to help support what the government is doing. And so I mentioned this at the top, but I think it's so important that we focus also on what can the private sector do here? What can churches do to help alleviate some of the concerns that the American people have? This is not just a, a crisis the government's going to solve. There, there really needs to be a private sector and civil society component to it. And what does that mean? Well, there's a whole section in the report focused on, on that. And I think that uh, one thing that, you know, would probably restore a lot of the trust in, in the American people is having steps that, uh, that the, you know, businesses take uh, to develop testing capabilities, uh, to make sure that they offer tests uh, to those uh, with whom they work, uh, making sure that if people are coming into the office, you know, they're doing things like temperature checks or they're strongly encouraging them to stay home if they even have the slightest bit of a sickness. So all of those things are, are steps that I think will help uh, small businesses. And certainly if you're in a service industry, uh, you don't want to have anybody who's on the front line who might be spreading the virus. And so it's even more critical that you do that. Um, Bill, if I could, I wanted to mention uh, one of the, the, the commissioners, Noe Landini, who runs a, a local restaurant in, in the Washington, D.C., uh, Alexandria, Virginia area. And Noe uh, is, is somebody who, uh, you know, is, is, as a business owner, is doing everything. I mean, if he's sent out to have to buy milk <laughs> so his <laughs> restaurant can still, you know, have enough um, – uh, you know, supplies to keep uh, the takeout orders going. I mean, it's really fallen to these small business owners to, to involve themselves directly while shielding their workforce. So it's tough. We recognize it's tough right now for them, and that's what uh, we're committed to, to doing. And, and fortunately, we seem to be getting good reception and response 24 hours after releasing these recommendations. That's fantastic. You know, I, I, I never like when you uh, rip a page out of the book of common sense and stick it in the book of rules. Now, I mean, when you talk about, you know, people that have identifiable symptoms and, you know, they should take themselves out of the workplace, you know, when it comes to temperature checks, if you think you've got a fever, how about not leave your house? That's right. Well, that it seems like it's a common sense solution, but but Bill, I'll tell you, you know, there are a lot of people who I think uh, would show up to work, you know, in in days and weeks ago, you know, before coronavirus, and they, you know, they felt like they had a responsibility to be there, and uh, and you know, sometimes that's that's how 
you can easily spread uh, these things. And we know certainly from a school standpoint and being the father of two elementary school kids, I can tell you that they probably bring a lot of germs home. So, you know, that's, uh, that's another factor that we, we included in, in the report. It's important that we educate young people about the important public health measures that they can take. Uh, because as we talked about before, they might not be the most vulnerable in terms of those who, who are dying from the virus. But, uh, but what they do is they, they can spread the virus to those who are at a greater risk. Uh, like their parents and grandparents. And so it's really important that we uh, take that into account. It's also important that we increase the outreach and education to minority communities uh, because we've seen that they have, there's a disproportionate effect uh, from the virus on those groups of people. So they need to be aware that they may, um, they may be more susceptible to, to getting the virus than others. Uh, and that's something where we can hopefully through public education and other means, uh, you know, get the word out uh, through, through these NGOs and other places. And, uh, and, you know, Bill, I, I think just in the, at the end of the day, we're all going to be better off by some of the things that we learned from this, as, as difficult as it's been over the course of the past month. Yeah, I agree. What about uh, the regulatory uh, burdens on essential services? Well, this has been a big area. In fact, uh, the Washington Post reported today that we um, were seeing the White House pay close attention to the, the commission's recommendations on the regulations themselves. So I, I haven't heard anything yet from the White House, but I expect within the days to come, the White House will be taking a close look at what it can do on the regulatory front uh, to ease some of those burdens. So um, there are things that state governments can do as well. Uh, one of the recommendations, uh, for instance, that we, we, we give to, to state governors is that they should look at ways that they can have pro-business reforms to jumpstart their economies, uh, restore some of that consumer confidence. Uh, we also recommend uh, for the federal government that it looks, it takes a close look at, uh, at any of the regulations that it's already uh, suspended and question whether or not it needs to you know, maybe keep those off the books uh, for the future. Um, so obviously in a crisis, you waive some of those, those things. Well, Maybe there's long-term changes that we can implement now as a result of, uh, as a result of what we've seen happen so far. Mm-hmm. So the coronaviruscommission.com, uh, listeners can head over there and take a peek. Um, and as far as dailysignal.com, what, uh, what headline do you have on your desk that you want to talk about? Keeping busy, I, I know, know we you are. cover the, the president's briefing every single day, and so that's uh, that's been an area that I think uh, Daily Signal uh, readers and, and listeners and followers have appreciated because we've seen you know some some more mainstream uh, outlets not necessarily do that as much lately. So I don't know why they uh, why they've decided uh, you know to, to take a pass on that, but it's certainly something they did. You know, uh, big stories we're following. Uh, besides that, uh, you know, on the international front, uh, keeping um, uh, pressure on China, uh, particularly as it you know, isn't necessarily all that truthful about the coronavirus. We know from the early, early going that it, uh, it held back information and tried to, to silence people from getting the word out. Uh, we're now seeing uh, disinformation campaigns from, from regimes like China uh, to blame this on the United States. Uh, so we need to hold China accountable for this. And that's been a big area of focus for, for our team and writers of the Daily Signal. Um, and, uh, and, you know, uh, there's all sorts of other things that uh, we're trying to bring in. We have a great contributor uh, by the name of Dr. Kevin Pham uh, from the medical profession. He's helping us on a daily basis uh, bring a, a doctor's perspective to the coverage. So we appreciate his contribution. Contributions and uh, and there's just so much more uh, every day. We're still doing our podcast, Bill, just like you're still doing your radio show. It's important that we get the get the news out there. 
Yeah, it is indeed. And Rob, I so appreciate uh, the work that uh, the Heritage Foundation uh, is doing on the Coronavirus um, Commission. And I just want to encourage listeners to head over there and look at it. And also to go to the Daily Signal, dailysignal.com, and check out uh, what's happening there as well. Rob, thanks so much for doing the show. Thanks, Bill. Stay safe. Yep. Have a great day. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Rob Bluey has been my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. After a short break, we'll be back with lots more. of course, comes in many different ways, whether it's the death of someone or maybe you've lost your job or a relationship has been completely torn apart, or maybe you've had a dream your whole life that has now gone away. That can break some hearts. And my guest, uh, Paul Touches, has written a book called A Small Book for the Hurting Heart. And I read an article uh, that he wrote, and I instantly liked him just because his writing was so... Uh, accessible and transparent and vulnerable, and now I get to meet him. Paul, welcome. Hey, great to meet you, Bill. Thanks for letting me be on your program. Oh, yeah. When I read this article, you talked about anxiety, and you said it's an opportunity to know God's peace. I think you're talking to the masses right now. (laughs) Well, that's because I've got a lot of experience myself as well. Well, the amount of vulnerability you shared in the first paragraph of this article, and of course I want to talk about your book, but it was like, all right, I instantly like him. And you just told it like it was. And you talked about being crippled with anxiety and to the point where you were just uh, paralyzed. Yeah, that's that's something that had not happened to me prior to about six uh, years, seven years ago or so. I had struggled with a certain level of worry and anxiety my whole life, um, but uh, came to a crisis point where it really reached a peak, paralyzing place. And it was through that that I just was uh, sent plunging really into the scriptures to search out uh, the truth that I needed to renew my mind. And uh, the Lord has has taught me so much, and I am grateful to be able to pass on some of it to others. Well, in the in the book, uh, a small book for the hurting heart. You know, whenever we think about grief, we generally go right to someone that we have lost, whom we loved. Um, yeah, talk about yeah, other kinds sure. of losses. Yeah, it's interesting how loss is a universal um, a universal encounter for all of us in in one level or another. And you're right, we. We instantly think of the death of someone we love, which is, of course, a a great loss. Mm -hmm. But uh, because of our fallenness and because we live in a fallen world, uh, there is so much other uh, loss in our lives as well. Loss of relationships, I think of, through conflict and divorce and estrangement, loss of dreams, like you mentioned in the uh, just a few minutes ago, loss of security. A lot of people are are uh, feeling that right now in the midst of this coronavirus crisis, there's this loss of a sense of safety and um, 
the Lord wants us to run to him with, with our hurts and our anxieties and our griefs. He does indeed. And one of the other things that I was instantly drawn uh, to you was your work as a, um, a chaplain in a hospice. I have a heart for hospice uh, care, and I would uh, be curious to hear about how you manage that kind of uh, day-to-day uh, or week-to-week operation when you're just around an overwhelming sense of grief and loss. Yeah, and I would say in my early years of being a pastor back in the early 1990s, when I did a lot more hospice chaplain work, um, there was this tendency that I wanted to be everything for everyone. And uh, that can become very quickly overwhelming. And uh, the Lord has helped me to uh, remember that he alone is the comforter. I'm just a vehicle. I'm just a conduit for the comfort of God as, as it is for all of us. And it's one of the things I love about God's comfort, especially as it's stated in 2 Corinthians 1, that God comforts us in all of our affliction. Uh, but that comfort isn't just for us. It's also eventually supposed to flow through us to other people. But just that reminder that ultimately God is the comforter. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the another comforter that Jesus promised to send. And Jesus himself, you know, right now is seated at the right hand of God interceding for us. So just to remember that uh, ultimately our comfort comes from the Lord um, and, and we, we can just be a conduit for that comfort. Mm-hmm. I want to get back a little bit to some of your earlier episodes when you went through a lot of anxiety and to the point where it was, uh, you thought you were having a heart attack, didn't you? Yes, I did. Talk about, this is something that many can understand, and uh, not that they've had heart attacks, but they have suffered from the broken heart syndrome. I'd love for you to talk about that. Yeah, twice I ended up in the ER uh, because I had every physical symptom of a heart attack. And eventually then my doctor wanted to do stress tests on me and discovered that I had not had a full-blown heart attack, you know, which causes permanent damage to the heart muscle. But I had experienced something referred to by the Mayo Clinic as uh, broken heart syndrome, which is when Uh, due to a high level of stress and anxiety uh, in our lives, uh, it can have such an effect upon our bodies that we feel as though we are having a heart attack. And that too has been so helpful to me, even though I I would never want to go through it again. And it was really life altering for me. But um, see the connection that, that scripture makes between the body and the soul, that there is this constant interplay between our physical bodies and our soul, uh, the material and the immaterial. And um, sometimes we want to, you know, as human beings, we want to figure it all out. We want the answers. Is it, is it my body that's causing anxiety or is it my soul? Hmm. And, and the answer is sometimes it's both. Um, and and even, even when the body is involved, I like to say to people, uh, which is really the realm of medical physicians. That not, that's not my realm. Um, your spirit still needs stabilizing truth from God's word. So regardless of what's going on in the body, there's always this need for this ministry of grace and truth through the word of God. Um, and I, I love, of course, you know, Jesus's, uh, John's description of Jesus as being full of grace and truth. And that's what we need. 
Paul, did Jesus not have some pretty severe anxiety himself, like in the Garden of Gethsemane? Oh, my. Yes. His, his grief and his stress and anxiety was at an all-time high. In fact, I think that's one of the wonderful things about the Lord Jesus is that we can run to him with any of our anxieties, any of our cares, any of our griefs, because he's the man of sorrow. Uh, he, he has gone through every imaginable experience of uh, living in this fallen world and uh, took that all upon himself, of course, because of his great love for us and his desire to be that Lamb of God that would take away our sins. Um, and what I love is the fact that, you know, a lot of times we, we think that the work of Jesus is complete. And, and it is if we're talking about his sacrificial work. That work is complete. He said it is finished on the cross, and Jesus uh, you know, was raised from the dead to prove that now, for all who believe in him, we have direct access to God. But there is this current ministry of the Lord Jesus that is so comforting to us that right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us as our high priest. But, but not a high priest who doesn't get it, not a high priest who doesn't understand. Mm -hmm. No, he is a priest who totally gets it, totally understands everything we're going through. And I love that the Word of God is, you know, alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword because when you are in pain or full of anxiety and you open the scriptures, you start to see verses that addresses your anxiety. And, yes. and it's like when when you're not shopping for a mattress, you, you don't ever see mattress ads. But when you start <laughs> looking for a mattress, it feels like all you see is mattress ads. <laughs> yeah, and I think the beautiful thing, too, is how uh, how honest the scriptures are. I love, I have grown in the last you know, number of years since that crisis time in my life. I've, I've come to appreciate the emotional honesty of the scriptures. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I'm personally so drawn to the book of Psalms, and so many believers are, because the Psalms are primarily autobiographical um, accounts of men and, you know, men of God, of course, that pertains, of course, to men of God as well, that ran to God in the midst of their trials and their suffering. And, and you see the honesty uh, that God uh, allows us to have with him when we're going through difficult times. I appreciate you uh, talking about your anxiety. What I didn't quite learn was what brought it on, and that might be too personal, and you don't have to answer that, of course. But uh, it seems like the numbers are about 23 million Americans right now estimated suffer panic attacks while millions more would identify themselves as having some form of anxiety disorder. And I'm sure in the last month, those numbers have gone up considerably. Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. For me, it really was a conglomeration of uh, stress factors from uh, various directions in my life, from ministry, from family. And, um, and it, it all kind of hit me from all sides at the same time. And it didn't help too that uh, at, at one point I responded to some of those trials uh, in, in with a certain level of anger that, mm -hmm. um, you know, things weren't going um, well and, and I wasn't able to fix certain things that 
needed to be fixed. And um, so there was a mingling of that as well, which has also been uh, instructive for me personally, because I see that in the scriptures. I was just talking um, last week with someone about Psalm 37 and how in that Psalm you see the mixture of a lot of inner attitudes and emotions. You, you see anxiety and anger, you see discontentment, you see struggling to trust the Lord. It's all mingled together. And that too, you know, like I said before, we like simple solutions. We like to, we like to understand what's going on so that we can then fix it. And sometimes the Lord um, puts us into situations in which uh, we have no power to do that. And we are, we are just brought to the end of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we must look up to him instead of inward for the resources that we think we have. But we've got to look upward to him because we really are weak, broken people. Yeah. Paul, when you were in that sort of paralyzed anxiety phase, uh, what kind of well-intentioned advice did you get that wasn't helpful? Um, well, I do remember, you know, some people saying, well, you know, just buck up. Um, you know, buck up and 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 change your attitude or, or buck up and, you know, things are going to get better. And um, rather than um, really a patient understanding, I remember one of the most painful things of all was when I reached out to some brothers in Christ and asked them if they would come to my home and pray with me and pray with my wife because we were just under such an assault, a spiritual assault at that time in our lives and our ministry and no one showed up no oh. one came they 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 said yeah we'll pray for you but at that point i didn't need people to pray for me i needed someone to walk through my front door and sit on the couch in my living room and just take us to the throne of god oh, to be able wow. to say the things that we were we were even having a hard time putting words to so i would say you know, as we minister to one another in times of crisis and trials and uh, troubles, we've got to be there for one another. We need to be present. You know, I think sometimes as Christians, we think we always have to have the right thing to say. You know, sometimes the best ministry of all is just to be present, mm -hmm. to listen more than we speak, to not just say we're going to pray for people, but to actually pray with them. Um, because I think the Lord allows us, like I said, to get to those places in our lives when uh, we're at the end of ourselves. And sometimes that means we don't even know how to pray. Mm -hmm. Boy, just being there, walking through your door, sitting on your couch, that yeah. would have uh, run deep into your heart. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Paul, let me take a little break. Um, at the top of the hour, I didn't quite know how to pronounce your last name, but it's Tauchas, but it's spelled for listeners T A U T. G-E-S. Right before we go to break, Paul, give me a couple of mispronunciations. <laughs> well, uh, probably the, the most common is uh, Taugus. Okay. Uh, I, I, we even had a, as a kid, we even had Trudges somewhere. <laughs> someone was able to put an R in there, but um, it, it isn't what it looks like, but it is Tauchus. Yeah, you got it right. It sure beginning. isn't. All right. Paul Tauchus is my guest. His book is A Small Book for the Hurting Heart. We'll be right back.
I'm sure enjoying my conversation with Paul Touches. He's written a book called A Small Book for the Hurting uh, Heart. And, Paul, I'm curious, you know, in Psalm 56, it, uh, I think verse 8, it tells us that God keeps track of our sorrows and collects our tears. Why would our tears uh, be important to God? Yeah, that's uh, such a comforting scripture the Lord brought me to uh, shortly after my mom passed away very suddenly of a brain hemorrhage and we weren't able to say goodbye and um, just finding that scripture was so comforting to me because it it's a poetic way of course of saying God cares um, God has provided tears and you know he's created our bodies so he's created our bodies to actually be able to weep um, and I believe that that's a, a means to really releasing that emotion and embracing the pain um, that we are experiencing, but it's a poetic way of saying that the Lord really does care about our sorrows. He also cares, I think, about the, the bad things that happen that cause our sorrows. Um, and, and, and so what that does for me is it reminds me that the Lord is very near to me. Um, and as believers, you know, we're tempted, I think, when bad things happen, we're tempted to think that God is far away. Um, but he is not far away. You know, he has, he has drawn near to us uh, in Christ, and we can now draw near to him. Mm. He has, a heart, of, he has love, a heart of compassion. I love that. You know, when we have grief or sorrow or pain, usually what it does, I should speak personally here, it makes me want to have immediate answers to the pain. And it, that doesn't really, that's yes. not the way it works, does it? No. No, the Lord has so much that he teaches us during those uh, valleys of sorrow. And, and we can make a mistake by trying to rush through them too quickly. Mm-hmm. So was there anything that you noticed you were doing that was contributing to your anxiety when you were, you were having it that you thought, well, maybe I need to break this habit or I need to, instead of... Uh, watching this program, just get up and go for a walk. Yeah, I would say I definitely did learn that I I was not caring for my body as well as I should have. I wasn't um, exercising regularly. So I've learned that that is a, a, a help to me physically. But I also came to see that I struggle with a good deal of self-sufficiency. And that is, and it displays itself, it reveals itself in my inability uh, or unwillingness, you might say, to say no. You know, I mean, when the Lord saved me back in 1984, I was just so excited. And when he called me to the ministry, then shortly after that, I, I just want to give my life for the ministry of the gospel. And sometimes I don't know uh, where the limit is. Sometimes my zeal is greater than my wisdom, and I don't necessarily know how to say no. So sometimes I can... I can take far too much upon myself. And as well-intentioned as that is, it's also, you know, if I'm honest, a revelation of pride in my life. Um, I need to trust the Lord and not try to do everything myself. You know? mm -hmm. And when things are broken in my life, you know, I can't necessarily be the one to fix it. Some things only God can fix. Yeah. You know, Paul, as we get older... Uh, are there many days where we don't have a fair amount of grief on the table? 
Oh boy. I mean, do you go a week without hearing a piece of really difficult news? Yeah. Whether it's a family or a friend or a loved one or. It it really is constant. And that's why I'm, I'm glad that you, you know, talked about the different ways that loss comes into our life because um, when you look at it that way, you realize there's hardly a day that goes by that we don't hear something that is painful, uh, either in our own lives, you know, something that causes pain or friends and loved ones, um, things that bring sorrow. And again, we have the man of sorrows, the Lord Jesus as our savior that we can run to constantly. You know, and I love that that's a, a, a title that the Bible gives to Jesus, like is a man of sorrow. And, you know, so if we see Jesus as, uh, you know, a person that has grappled with grief, that's a pretty comforting thought. Oh, it's so comforting. Yeah, because we want, when we're hurting, we're grieving, we really want to know that someone understands. We want to find someone who's gone through the same thing that we've gone through so that they will listen, understand, empathize with us. You know, and Hebrews 4 says that Jesus is that for us. He is our empathetic high priest. There, there's, no, uh, there's no temptation that he has gone through um, that, uh, that he has not conquered. And that's what's so beautiful, you know. So he understands, but he's also victorious over it all. And, and so we know that there's always hope. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul, you've done a lot of research and study on, on a hurting heart. You must have some favorite Bible verses of your own that you, that you love when it comes to comforting. I do. Uh, for years, I have run to uh, Psalm 46, verse 1. Mm. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of need. Um, and that, that is so comforting to me because it tells me first that God is my hiding place. Um, I can I can go and hide in Him for safety as a refuge. He is also my strength because um, when you're grieving, you feel very very weak, almost at every level. Um, but also that He's very present. Again, you know, our flesh wants to think that God is far away and distant, but He's very near. He is very present in our times of trouble. Um, And then I love also running to um, the book of Genesis, especially when there are things that are happening in my life that seem to make no sense whatsoever. And I can't see how God can bring good out of it. Um, I just go back to the story of Joseph. And I remember of how the Lord worked in his life and used him um, to to actually save the the earthly lineage of Jesus, the Messiah. Um, But it was through his suffering. And uh, we need to remember that, that, that you know, uh, God is doing something good in our suffering. We mm-hmm. may not see it now. We may not even see it until glory, but we can rest in that truth. Mm-hmm. Paul, when I opened your book, I always like to just open a book and see what strikes me just to get things started. And I opened it up and it said, God is attentive to the needs of his children. He's also aware of your fears. Then you go on to talk about Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings Mm. I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Sounds pretty relevant to today. Oh, it sure does. Yeah, and and isn't that interesting? You know, he says, come to me and, and, and be, you know, come to me. I'm a safe place. I'm a refuge. God wants us to run to him and 
and and he wants to cover us you know with his protective wings you know of course that's you know that's a a picture of his care mm-hmm. uh, like a mother bird you know watches over her her uh, little ones and protects them and um god is the place that we need to run to and hide um until the storm passes by yeah right. because we don't, we don't know how long the storm's going to last good point uh, but he does. So we need to just stay really close to him. That's our job. <laughs> yeah. So, Paul, if you could just maybe share one piece of encouragement about grief to those that you uh, counsel or have talked to, um, what would it be? Yeah, I would say no matter what your grief is and no matter what loss has caused that grief, uh, just remember that the Lord is near, that you can run to him. He wants you to run to him. Uh, God the Father knows uh, your every need. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, loves you. Uh, he's proven that on the cross. He is the compassionate and understanding Savior. Uh, but also remember that the Holy Spirit, who lives within every believer in Christ, uh, is a comforter. That's one of the names that Jesus gave to him. So don't allow the enemy um, to take advantage of your grief and push you away or pull you away from the Lord. Mm. Lean into him. Uh, he, he will restore your hope. Yeah. Awesome word, Paul. Thank you so much uh, for coming on and doing the program. I love this book and it's a little small one, so it goes easily into a book bag or a backpack and you can pull this out and read it anywhere. So thank you for doing the show. Oh, thanks, Bill. It's been a joy. Yeah. Paul, uh, Tauchas has been my guest. Meditations on Loss, Grief, and Healing, a small book for the hurting heart. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.